Listen, open up your Bibles to James 5. Uh, just a couple announcements. If you have your bulletin, look at it for one second. There's something called a garden interaction. It's a non-meeting meeting that's happening tonight. And this will serve as a couple of things. One is it will test your faith in your DVR, as the Giants are playing tonight. And secondly, it will test your commitment to the Lord. How's that for a guilt trip? No, I'm just kidding. I really don't want to guilt anyone into coming to this, but... But we recognize that there's, you know, a kind of important baseball game happening tonight. But we really genuinely think that the kingdom of God and what's happening back there is kind of important too. I am going to TiVo the game, uh, DVR it, so you can come over to my house afterwards if that's at all in conflict with you. So that is happening still, 6.30 to 8, right here uh, at the church. And a bunch of other things happening. So take a look and get into that. I want you to think about the last time that you were lost. I don't know if you were like me, but as a kid, I got lost a lot. I just tended to wander away from, from mom and or dad at various times. Ever grab the leg of the wrong mom in the grocery store? Anyone ever do that? Yeah, that just had to be shocking for both parties. I had never thought about it from the adult standpoint until others have done that to me. But, but I remember just doing that and being like, my mom's legs aren't hairy. Wait a minute. Whoa, you know, that's someone different up there. And that was just a normal routine part of my life was getting lost. Probably none of you have been lost quite like this guy. May 25th, 2006. There was a climber by the name of Lincoln Hall, and he was left for dead by his guides on the side of Mount Everest. The next day, his crew released a statement announcing his death. Little did they know that Hall was very much alive and in dire circumstances. He was suffering from altitude sickness, which had caused him to become disoriented and evidently looking very dead to his party. Uh, He was left alone on the mountain with no hat, no gloves, and no oxygen bottles. Mount Everest. A day later, Daniel Mazur and his climbing group came across Hall. Mazur, who was just two hours away from the peak, abandoned his Everest quest and left his party to carry Hall down to the camp at the base of the mountain, which was a four-hour trek. Just days before, another climber, catch this, David Sharp, died 1,000 feet from the summit when dozens of people passed him by because they didn't want to risk their own Everest glory of reaching the peak. Now, that story illustrates at least a couple of things. One is, if you're going to go climb Mount Everest, make sure you tell your guides, like, quadruple check to make sure I'm dead before you leave me for dead. I mean, I get that it's icy up there and my heart rate might have been slower or whatever else, but find a good crew. And secondly... Uh, it illustrates this picture that sometimes people can be left for dead by those who are supposed to be in their party and how others will walk right by on their way for something else, on their way for their own plan, on their way for their own glory. For the person who abandoned his climb and turned around and walked back down where he had just come for the sake of a life, weighing a life or summiting Mount Everest and making the right decision, in my humble opinion... It shows that it took great going out of your own way and, and altering your own plans to, to help someone else uh, who, who was in need. That's, that's a picture of what these last two verses in James look like. We're looking at the last two verses in this book that we've been in for, for a lot of weeks now. And what I want to say at the very beginning is this, that God's heart, God's heartbeat and his bent is toward wanderers, is toward rebels, is toward those who stray and toward the lost. And let me just tell you, that is great news for every single person in this room. That is great news for all of us. Jesus talked about it this way. He talked about a straight and narrow path. 
And he said, only a few will ever find it. He said, there's a wide road that leads to destruction and death. And then you're going to be on that path. He, he points out and, and he interacts with people all the time. Those who kind of wandered off the path. Maybe you at one point were on the straight and narrow path, you would say. But, but you can attest to wandering off it. Some people stray off course. Some people simply get lost, right? Uh, I, was, I was floating in the ocean uh, a couple of years ago down in Mexico with, with Travis. And we were out uh, taking a beach day with, with, the, with the orphanage kids down there. And um, there was a super, super strong rip current that was taking us straight out. And we just did a little bit of rip current training. And I said, Travis, watch this. Come swim out here with me and watch, watch the shoreline for a second. And it was probably one of the stronger ones I've ever been in. And um, I didn't check in with his parents, which in hindsight, really, if you're going to do rip current training, you should do. But we're pretty close friends. Um, so, so we're out there floating around. And, uh, and I mean, it was literally just, just a minute or two. And we're, we're just drifting toward, you know, toward California. We're drifting north and, and west, you know, up, up and out. And it was, it was really, really quick. What's amazing is when you're out in the ocean, um, you, you get a sense of how it can be to just drift completely off course. And you're not doing anything. You're just sitting still. And what a picture that is for some who've been on the narrow road. And they go, man, I mean, here's the way the story starts sometimes. I just don't know what happened. Years ago, I was close to God. Years ago, I was walking with the Lord. Years ago, I had a vibrant prayer life. I just don't really know what happened. I'm all of a sudden adrift out here in the middle of nowhere. Jesus told a, sto- a, a story about, um, about a, a shepherd. He, of course, was called the good shepherd. He referred to himself as a good shepherd. But he said, a, a guy who has a hundred sheep and one of them goes wandering off and is in peril, he's surely going to leave the 99 to go after that one sheep and he's going to rejoice when that one sheep comes back. Over and over and over you see God's heart for the lost, for the destitute, for those who've wandered off course. In fact, as a proclamation of when the Messiah would come, here are the signs you should look for. The good news will be preached among the poor. The good news will be preached amongst those who've wandered off course, who are not a part of the in crowd. So over and over we see the heartbeat of God towards those who stray. This morning, in keeping with our James theme, we're going with this idea of a roundup. And it's just a gathering of those who are strays. In James chapter 5, uh, he's been talking to us about several things. And he ends, in my opinion, kind of abruptly. There's just kind of this abrupt end. And James seems to be a guy of action. I don't know if he was done and he had to go do other things quickly. But it just kind of ends with these two verses. And, uh, and as, I, as I looked into it and studied, I want to share a few thoughts with you that, that, that hit me about it. But look at verse 19. He returns to this this term of endearment, which he's used several times in the book. He says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. He closes this letter with a command to do the very thing that he's been doing in this letter. In this letter, he's been offering tests for people to say, check and make sure you have genuine faith. If you're just making pronouncement but not living it, it's not genuine. It's not saving. It's not the real deal. So this book is a living metaphor doing what he's commanding us to do, which is to go after the wanderer. 
We talked about this idea, James chapter 1, 1, he says, this is to the 12 tribes of the dispersion. The dispersion is that picture of hitting an anthill and the ants go running in every different direction. The Christians have been persecuted, so they're running. But it seems that some hadn't just scattered from Jerusalem. Some had scattered from the faith. And sometimes hardship, you know this, sometimes hardships drive us to our knees and drive us back to God. And sometimes it hardens our heart towards God, doesn't it? And we shake our fist at God, and we go wandering away. And there's some people in your life right now, I'm preaching to the choir here, you're in church, your heart is breaking for people who are not sitting next to you. Maybe it was a hardship that caused them to wander, caused them to scatter in the first place. Before we go on, I want to just do a little bit of word work. Look at, the, look at verse 19. Uh, in the ESV, it translates it, if anyone among you wanders, and then it says a second later, and someone brings him back. The word anyone and someone is the same exact word. James uses essentially the vaguest term possible, and it would read something like this. It would read something like, my brothers, if any person among you wanders from the truth and any person brings him back, and then he continues with the thought. Here's why that's so utterly profound. He uses the vaguest term possible because of this. He's saying this, if you get a sense someone is wandering from the faith, if you get a sense that someone is wandering away from church, they're getting off the path of truth. The action item isn't quick, hurry up, call the leaders of the church. They'll know what to do. Get them on board. Have them go after them. It isn't even go find people in your church with the spiritual gift of pastoring, of nurturing and shepherding people into into the fold. Instead, it's this. Anyone among us can wander. It's, It's a wide open term. And we have many stories in our lives, probably, of people we thought that person will never turn, and they've wandered off course, they've veered off course. And it says anyone who goes and brings him back, that all of a sudden puts the ministry of pastoring people, of shepherding people, into your hands as a Christian. It's underscoring this teaching the Bible has, which says this. If you have the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead, if you're a Christian, a born-again Christian, and you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you, God has gifted you supernaturally to go be about his will and to go be about his work. To go and call the professional may be in order, but it might be this. Hey, pray for me. I'm going after a lost brother. And I don't know what to say. I don't know how to go after him. I just know it's the right thing to do. So the challenge this morning is this. It's not just for those of you who see yourself as qualified or gifted in this. It's for those of you who call yourself a Christian to say, if anyone among you wanders, go after them. In the name of Jesus Christ, go after that person. If I could sum up kind of the whole meaning this morning... Uh, of, of, what I'm, of what the challenge for us in, in James here, it's this, love enough to go. Love enough to go. Uh, there's, a, there's a hymn that we often sing, and it says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And to that we say, amen, right? I mean, that is a constant pull in our lives, is to wander off course. I don't know if you've ever gotten mad at that, but I've gotten mad at that before. Lord, why, when you saved me, didn't you just remove all of that completely? 
I wish it wasn't true, but it is true that we're prone to wander. Isaiah 53, 6 says this. What happens, what I fear in this a little bit is, in that opening slide of the, of the steer that's going off course and the, the cowboy who's, you know, who's tossing a rope on him, we kind of put ourselves, am I the, am I the, the cow or the, or the cowboy in that picture? And, and in some sense, let me, let me just level the playing field for a second. In some sense, all of you ought to, ought to identify with the cow first, okay? Now, I know you're thinking, public speaking 101, don't call the, the audience cows. Like that, you lose them with that. But in this sense, I think you can hang with me, okay? In, in one sense, all of us are the cow in the picture. Even if right now you're spiritually strong and you feel close to the Lord and God's got a ministry of you reaching out hands of help to other people, we're all the cow in the picture. Listen to Isaiah 53, 6. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, meaning Jesus, the iniquity or the sin of us all. So in one sense, we're all the wanderers here. We all understand that story. Any rescue story uh, that you read or see on TV or whatever, it ought to awaken the heart of a Christian. It awakens my heart because I see myself in that. I go, wow, I was left for dead. I was as helpless as that guy on the snowy mountain, powerless to do anything to save me, except that someone else came and rescued me. And that's Jesus Christ. That's the gospel story. Stories like re- of rescue, they abound in epic battles and they abound in adventure stories, right? When you're doing something adventurous. And what is the Christian life except for an epic battle and a giant adventure? And if you don't see the Christian life like that, you're completely missing what the Bible communicates the Christian life is all about. So ours is a story of rescue. All of us like sheep have gone astray. And in some ways that qualifies us then to have compassion on someone who would wander. If you ever see someone wandering and you catch your heart saying, man, they don't have the the discipline that I have. Man, they they don't have the, the fortitude that I have to stay with the truth. Man, they don't have the insight that I have. Beware the older brother in the prodigal son story. It's the one who thinks that they haven't wandered, the one who who thinks they're all of that. But rather the one who comes as a Christian and comes humble and recognizes our own story of rescue, it actually qualifies us to have a compassionate heart to go after the wanderer. Now there's a couple of different kinds of wanderers here. I I want to throw out three. One is prodigals. One is those who are defectors. And then there's nomads. Let me just give you a couple of examples. One is Peter and Judas. In a little sliver of time, you would look at the life of Peter and Judas, and you could qualify them both as just run-of-the-mill deserters of Jesus Christ. They've wandered. They've strayed. They've jumped far away from Christ. They've disassociated with the faith, right? For a season of time, they both are in exactly the same camp. Now, here's what's powerful. One of them goes on to preach at Pentecost and be used of the Lord to rescue thousands of souls. And we're still reading and studying and being, uh, being blessed by his ministry today. Wrote the books of 1 Peter and 2 Peter, and he was a, an apostle and all these different things. The second one was a defector. And the second one went on to never return to Christ and ended up hanging himself for his own decision. So when someone's wandering, sometimes they're a defector. Sometimes they're a prodigal that may return. I add this third camp of nomad. The nomad is that person who who might be in your life, or might be you. 
that kind of pokes in for a while, but, but, but it never quite clicks, and so you, you kind of veer off over to this camp, and you never set down roots. You have a tent, and you kind of set up shop for a while. You, you kind of try to get involved, but, but then you don't, and you kind of roam around. And, and as you look at those three kinds of things, here's, here's what you might wonder. As I'm ministering to someone, um, how do I know if I'm ministering to Judas, or how do I know if I'm ministering to a Peter? In that short window of time, you don't. And the reality is, as you're reaching out to people, you don't know in this lifetime whether the person that you're reaching out to is just a prodigal who's veered from God and is shaking their fist at God and one day is going to come back and be used mightily of God. Or if they're a defector that will never return. Now, it doesn't mean that we don't have some evidence. Here's the only evidence I can really think of, and this is what the whole book of James is about. The only evidence we really have is to look at, um, at, at the truth. And truth is a living thing. Truth is something that invades our lives and affects our lives. And, and if we look at what they profess with their lips and what they live with their lives, we'll have a fairly accurate picture of where they're at. Let's turn that on ourselves for a second. If I look at what comes out of my mouth and I look at how my life is lived, I will have a fairly accurate picture of what I think about any number of, of issues and topics. So as you're pursuing someone, as right now you might be praying and thinking through, wow, this is a, this is a timely message because I've got, I've got a coworker, I've got a family member, um, I've got a son or a daughter who I'm just so fearful for. It feels like they're veering off course. I want to love them back into the fold. This message is really for, for you. But also if you're sitting in here and you say, wow, I'm the secret nomad. I'm the secret prodigal. I, I come and I look put together, but, but really my heart's far from God. My lips are close to God on Sunday morning when we sing about being the rescued ones, but really my life doesn't live out to that. I'd say this message is for you as well. If you're taking notes, let me just give you a couple of ways that we wander. Again, these are just a few biblical ways that come to mind. One is desire. There's all sorts of desire, and God created desire. So don't, don't hear me that desire is wrong. Desire is a fantastic thing. It's a God-given thing. But, but what happens in a sin-cursed world is we take a good gift and we pervert it. And we put our sin on it. All of a sudden, desire steered the wrong way goes from enjoying a meal to something called gluttony. Enjoying the riches of marriage to something called lust and adultery. And on and on we could go with all the different desires that we have. But James is really clear. We won't rehash this, but James 1.14 says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. We don't have to look far in our own lives to see this being true. Man, I, I bought that hook, line, and sinker. It just didn't pan out the way I thought it would can all identify with the prodigal son story where, where the guy had it all. He had a good start. He had a good loving father, which many in this room can't say. He had riches. He had an inheritance. He had a place to live and have a purpose and all of this. But you know what? He found it boring. He found it too familiar. And so he, he fell for this lie that the far off country had greener grass. And when he found himself not eating green grass but eating pig slop, Right? He's down in the dumps, and he thinks, man, even the bottom rung of what I had before, even what the servants are doing is a better life than what I'm living. 
And so many of us, our stories could go on and on. Come and listen is what we opened with as a song. And just giving testimony. Let me tell you what God's redeemed me from. Let me tell you why I have this goofy smile on my face when I start talking about Jesus. I just, I, 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 I can remember like yesterday where my life was headed and what he rescued me from. The life of the far-off country never comes through on its promises. So desire is one uh, way that people wander. Another one's money. Again, we live in a valley and in a day and age where it's just not that hard to think of examples where people have left their morals, left their Christian faith, left following passionately after Jesus for money. My brain actually went to people who don't have a ton of money, but, but just this, this simple, slippery slope that money can provide. Many youth group kids who are passionately involved in the church, uh, engaged in serving our community, fired up for Jesus, and they go off and they get a job. And getting a job is not a bad thing. In fact, it's a great thing in most cases. But a great question for getting your job is, why are you getting a job? To what end? Why are you getting this job? And sometimes, uh, if a kid was honest, one kid was brutally honest with me. He said, um, he said, I want to go to college and do this or that. And, and I said, so he, so he wants to get a job to help pay for college. I said, why do you want to go to college? And this is a kid who loved Jesus, was an unashamed Christian. He said, well, to make a lot of money. And I'm like, okay. I said, well, why do you want to make a lot of money? And he's all, huh? Like, he did, the question just didn't compute. He, he's like, you know, I was, I was expecting some, you know, like pageant answer, you know, to save the world, you know, to feed every hungry child. He was like, to get lots of stuff. Like, like you know, I mean, why else would you get a lot of money? That's as far as his brain had gone. And I was like, wow, this is like one of our core kids. There's some work to do, which is good, you know. Um, and, and sometimes youth group kids would, would, would get in a job, and instead of, instead of incorporating their Christian faith into their mission field, which now is Jamba Juice or Starbucks or wherever they might be working, instead what happened is this. The guys and gals after work at Starbucks were going to go do this or that, and that's where they'd be hanging out um, after, after work. And, and on Saturday, when we were going to go out and be on a prayer walk or go do something in the community or live our faith out or just give our lives away, uh, they couldn't because they had to work. And, and then all of a sudden, Sundays became fair game for being scheduled for work. And before you knew it, you had people in their young 20s who didn't feel like it, but they had a lot of discretionary time. They had a lot of time on their hands, and they had just a little bit of money. And what it would happen is it would go just very subtly to a, a, a movie here, a movie there, a trip down here uh, for, for this cost, and then a concert over here. And, and what happened was this. Um, I would go as just, a, as just a loving older brother in Christ and say, say brother, I, I'm just concerned about you. And, and um, you know, it's not bad to go to a concert. It's not bad to go to see, a, to, to, to see a movie. But let me just tell you, from my perspective, I don't see you anymore. So you don't have to have a lot of money. This isn't the person who's like flushing their faith down the toilet in some grand, you know, emotional thing and rushing headlong after, after the big bucks. It can be really, really subtle. Listen to 1 Timothy 6, verse 9. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Flashing red lights, warning. Okay, that's what you should be hearing right now. Sirens. Verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have, catch this, wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. 
the cravings that money stirs up, the love that we have of money, the security that we can place in money, causes people to wander away from the faith. So desire and money, here's another one, is arguments. In our Grow to Go series, it was really a series on apologetics, on thinking through your faith, on the rationality of the Christian faith. Everyone has a belief system. Everyone's got faith in something. We just went to work on saying, what is ours on? For one of the weeks, I offered you to have a 3 by 5 card, and you could write in your questions. Remember that? And we tackled, I think, about 10 of the top ones that, that came in at the start of that series. In one of those messages, on one of the screens, I, I did this. I took 3 by 5 cards, and I just kept putting them down. And it represented this person. There's some people who, even after you answer my top 10 questions about the Christian faith, I've got five more that I've got in my back pocket. And then after we discuss and talk about those, there's a pile of 10 sitting back at home. And if you can get through those, I've got 20 more. And after you answer those, I've got just one more. And on and on and on it goes. And at some point, the whole Grow to Go series was this. Don't grow in your face so you can have a giant head and like just like bring it on. Someone bring an argument. I've got it. Paul! And you blow him out of the water. The Christian faith, we have truth on our side. I just firmly believe that. So it really does answer these questions well. Now, we're to be ready to give a response with gentleness and respect. So the way that we do it, the motive that we do it, is, is, is paramount here. But there are some, though, that aren't interested. They're not truth seekers. They don't really... They don't really want the answers to grow in truth and to arrive at a decision. Rather, they like to argue. They like to to discuss. They like to speculate. They like to dismantle other people's uh, systems without putting something down for their own. Paul warns a young pastor, Timothy, to guard against this and to turn away. It's almost like there's this quicksand effect that can go on with this. And listen to what he says in 1 Timothy 6.20. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. The gospel is a trust as a young pastor. And guard this thing. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed, and in doing so, have wandered away from the faith. There it is again. There's a wandering away from the faith that you can do as you just start to argue and just want to go around all the denominations and and talk through all these different things. Closely tied to that are false teachings. Now, pastors and teachers and prophets and apostles were given to the church to prevent wandering in part. Part of what the role of those kinds of gifts for the church are is to guard people what's been going on. And as soon as Jesus, while Jesus was walking the earth, False truths were coming in. Heresies were sneaking in. And so God equips the church with people to say, no, that's not right. No, God did say that, and he didn't say that. And they they are there to guard the truth. Ephesians 4.14 says this, that these pastors, teachers, prophets, uh, apostles, are given to build up the body for the work of ministry. And then verse 14 says this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. I have talked with people who have come clean that have said, a part of my motive for dismantling Christianity was my own sin. I understood that if Christianity was true and I was accountable to a God, 
I had to be accountable for my decisions. So I used my God-given talent, which is words and argument and discussion and speculation and all of that to go about dismantling Christianity. 2 Timothy 2.18 is an example of this. There again, we hear an echoed comment. Avoid godless chatter because those who indulge in it will become, catch this, more and more ungodly. It's just leading away from God. Their teaching will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus who have wandered away from the truth. These apparently were people who were in the fold and they've wandered away from the truth. They say that the resurrection has already taken place and they destroy the faith of some. So look at this list for a second. Desire, money, arguments, and heresy. Now, if I just gave you five minutes to think about what are some of the things that cause people to wander away from the truth, it wouldn't be that hard to come up with some of these, right? And in that sense, maybe these aren't the most dangerous ones. I mean, come on. Lust, power grabs, backbiting, heresy, money and wealth, greed. You know, we get that. You, know, you don't have to be a Christian to kind of figure out, yeah, those things tend to destroy people's morals. Let me give you one that I think might be the, the most insidious because it's, so, um, it's just so subtle. And that is just being careless. I think carelessness, and you could add to that just coldness, is, is one of those that is, that is most destructive. Jesus alludes to heresy and rumors and speculation with the increase of sin. And then he says this in Matthew 24, talking about the end times, looking ahead to things. He says this, because lawlessness is increased, catch this, most people's love will grow cold. So after all these things go on, heresy slips in, and like gangrene, it just starts to spread and destroy the faith of some. And then speculation comes in, and then sin increases, and then lawlessness increases, and then he says the love of most will grow cold. That ought to snap us to attention and say, I don't want to be the wanderer. I don't want to be the one who has a love that, that grows cold. The truth is we let our guard down for a second and there's like this relentless enemy that begins to invade us. It's also a word to the church attender. The one who's in love with God, the one who is pursuing God, has the opportunity to be sitting right in church and be a wanderer, just begin to veer like Travis and I floating away off into real danger at some point, just subtly slipping away. So how do you put a stop to this? I, I don't want to give some simplistic answer, but I do want to go back to the basics. That hymn that I quoted, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. The answer is in the very next line. Prone to leave the God I love. The great antidote for wandering from God is loving God. Remember our whole smitten series? That God's revealed himself as our lover? And that if, if we were passionately pursuing a love relationship with God, that would care for so many other ills that, that are out there, so many other distractions for us to get off track. Let me say it this way. Nurturing a loving relationship takes work and focus and energy. Pour it into the right direction, and you won't veer into the wrong direction. If you are passionately pursuing the God that you love, then it hurts you like it hurts him to veer off course from that. Now, I know for you this morning that this, this um, you know, cow in the picture, this, this, this person who might be wandering away from the herd, it's not just hypothetical. 
These are real people, and it's real tears, and it's really a gut-wrenching thing to think about their lives in danger. These are loved ones. These are people that we, we hold dearly to us. And maybe you even have past conversations and past interactions with these people, and you go, wow, I just felt so destructive, and, and it feels like I can never bring that up again. It just doesn't feel like a safe topic to even bring up. I can't even approach that because of how things went last time when we went to, to talk about it, and, and I just just tried to ask them lovingly, and I kind of blew up in my face. The passage here talks about rescue. And my, my invitation for you is whether you are a prodigal this morning um, or whether you love a prodigal and you've been praying for a prodigal and you go, Lord, how can you use me? Would you bring someone in their life? Can you use me? To, to go and love them back into the fold. Um, let me say this. The, the language here is profound. Verse 20 says, Let him know that whoever brings him back, or brings back a sinner from his wandering, will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If you've ever seen someone straying and you wonder if it's worth going after them, I want you to remember this cowboy's dumb. Here it is. Dying ain't much of a living boy. That's a quote from a cowboy movie. And here's the picture. When you see someone who looks like they're doing okay, here's the trick that gets played on your mind. You know what? They seem to be doing okay, though. I'm sure they're probably fine. What that's probably going on, this is what's gone in my own life, is I'm wrestling with not having the courage or the depth of love or the care or willing to risk the relationship to go after their soul. They're doing okay in life. You know what? Uh, I know they've wandered a little bit, but they assure me that they're fine. Remember we said earlier, the only evidence we have is the things that come out of our lips and the way our lives are living. The reason you still, Christian, have a discomfort about your brother, about your sister, about your family member, about your neighbor, about your coworker, is because you see something in your life that doesn't sit right. And you say, man, it, it seems like they're veering off course, but, but, but I'm sure they're okay. And if you've, ever, if you've ever gone that route of convincing your mind, I'm sure they're fine. I'm sure God will bring someone else in their life. I'm sure that church, although it seems off the deep end, I'm sure that, that God can use even that. Don't quiet that voice. Risk the relationship. The language here is stark. It's a rescue at stake. It's life or death. Get the picture of that guy who's a thousand feet from the summit as a few groups march right past him in a modern-day you know, Good Samaritan uh, story that doesn't have a happy ending. On with their own project or whatever they're doing. On with their own ministry. Why has God continually put this person back in your heart and mind if they're doing okay? Risk the relationship. Love enough to go. So let me get a little bit practical here for you uh, so you can jot a few things down. One of the ways to think about the church is a group of people who are the rescued ones. I love the opening song that talked about this, that we're a group of rescued ones who are on the lookout for the welfare of others in our midst. We talk all the time about this reality. The church exists not for its members, but those who aren't members yet. That's why any church doing biblical community, I'm convinced, are more focused on the neighborhood and more focused on people who are in need 
than, than meeting our needs and tending to us. Tonight, coming to this garden meeting isn't about gardening at all. It's about getting together and brainstorming. God, how would you use our church to be a blessing in this neighborhood for people who can't grow healthy organic food? As we meet that physical, tangible need and we live the gospel message in front of them, would you give us words to build a bridge to share the gospel message with them? And would you save their souls from death? That's what tonight's about. So we talk about that a ton. But there's another side to the church, and that is this, that while we don't exist to make our members comfortable and make our you know, shareholders happy, so to speak, we are to be on the lookout for one another. We are our brother's keeper. We are to be meeting together. We are to be in each other's lives enough to know something's off in you. And brother, I'm willing to risk my friendship with you to say, what's going on? I saw, I saw interactions between you and that other woman, and you're a married guy, and, and I know you have vows to your wife, and that just felt off. Can I just, can I just risk this awkward conversation to say, is there anything going on? Is there anything that we can pray about or talk about? I'd love to love you through this. But what you have in your marriage is far too precious, and I'm not going to stand by and let you throw it away. We are our brother's keeper. As such, will you commit to be unwilling to pass the buck or the burden of people wandering away in your life to someone else? Will you be unwilling to just look the other way and pass on by saying, God's called me the glory of the top of Mount Everest as I keep doing my ministry? And will you be willing instead to get involved? Maybe the most simple thing is this. Love acts. Love someone enough to go. Love someone enough to put your own agenda of where you thought you were headed on hold because God's brought this person into your life and you've become aware of it. Love not demonstrated is basically monopoly money, right? It looks and feels and kind of looks like the real thing, but it's absolutely worthless. So for us to say to one another, we love one another. We're Christians. Of course we love one one another. But then to have a love that's monopoly money love, it's it's as frivolous and and silly as, as, as anything else. Love to be genuine acts and gets involved. Now, if you act and if you go this route, don't plan on being asked all the time for help. In, in fact, when you pursue those who are missing, some are missing in body, like they're physically not here. Some are just missing in soul and emotion. They show up at things, they're there. Uh, you, you've known the drill. Your love can just grow cold. You kind of keep going through the drill because it's on your schedule. You, you go to community group, you go to church, you... You show up at things, but, man, you're just missing. What, don't we all long for a friend that loves us and sees us enough to say, man, I, I can see there's something missing in your eyes. There's something missing in your step these days. And you go after them. If you only wait to be asked, my hunch is you'll be, you'll, you'll be waiting for a really, really long time. If God's bringing someone to your heart, God's bringing someone to your mind, if you're with them and they make a comment and you think about that comment hours later and then days later, And go pursue that person. Love them enough to go. Also, don't plan on being thanked. In fact, oftentimes, uh, not only will you not be thanked, you might even be scorned. Part of risking a relationship is this. Um, If if someone is in sin, and this happened many times in college group uh, and youth group, where I would just stop seeing a person. And as a couple would get together in my my youth group, I would tell them, I'd say, look, um, getting together as a young couple, um, both of you who love Jesus has shipwrecked many kids' faith. 
So I want you to know as your pastor and as your friend, as your, old, as your older brother in Christ, I long for you to do this in a, in a godly way, and I'm going to be watching out for you. And if they stop showing up six weeks later to any kind of function, I'm going to go pursue them. And many times they were living in some kind of a sin. They were feeling guilty, and they pulled away from the truth. And when I went to them, it wasn't, Thank you, Dave. You're such a good friend. Give me a hug. It wasn't that at all. There was defensiveness. There was accusation. There was slamming. The reason for I'm not coming to the group is because there's backbiting. or Whatever the things might be, there was attack. And it's a little bit like trying to, you know, feed someone who's starving and they, like, gnaw off your finger or something. So don't plan on being thanked in this. It's oftentimes a thankless job, but you go out of love. Don't plan on being comfortable. This leads to conversations where you will rack your brain, and I hope go to the God in prayer and say, I don't know how to have this conversation. This is just really hard. And it usually starts with something like this. I don't really know how else to say this, but here it is. And and you just stammer it out. You don't do that because you're comfortable. You don't do that because you love confrontation. You do it because a person's eternal life or death is at stake. And you do it because that's far more important than summiting Everest is their life. So you do it selflessly and you go prayed up and and as a motive for them. Also, don't plan on it being clear cut. You aren't the all-knowing one in their life. All you see is them veering off away from the herd and you're concerned. If they say, hey, I was just going over here for a little snack of grass you know, I'm going to join back up soon. Okay, cool. You don't have to be the one that trumpets them back in. Look who I brought back. No, 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 it's not about that at all. But if they blow you off with that and they're still there and we're all moving on and they're still there, you circle back again. And you say, remember that conversation we had last week? I still miss you. I still don't see you around. What's happening? What's really happening? So don't plan on always being clear-cut. And finally, don't plan on going alone. You go as an agent of God in this manner. And you go as an agent saying, God, you go with me or else I'm not going to go in this. This isn't at all about me. I can't rescue. I can't atone for sin. I can take people and bring them to the one who can, which is Jesus Christ. Leroy uh, Imes, in in a book called Be a Motivational Leader, says this, to see a fellow human being in imminent danger on the brink of disaster and to do nothing is a crime in the sight of God and humanity. You ever think about your non-involvement as sin? It's the sin of omission. James is ushering a command. If you see someone wandering, anyone, you get after him. You get after her. You bring her back into the fold. Finally, love cares. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes we go after people and we think of them as wrong. We think of those who are not Christians. We think of those who are veering away from Christianity as wrong. And instead, I'd like to offer you this picture of the the idea of them being lost. If someone is lost or someone is wrong, there's two different tactics. Your attitude changes completely. One seeks to direct home. The other one seeks to correct. One seeks to help. The other one potentially seeks to attack and tear down your arguments of why you're wrong, and let me show you how I'm right. Now, it may be in absolute truth that they're veering away from the truth, and they are wrong. But fundamentally, 
If we could see them spiritually, like a little kid at the mall who's going like this and crying out for mama at the, loud, at the top of their lungs. You don't walk by and go, oh, man, stinks to be that kid. You just don't do that. I mean, none of us in this room would do that. We wouldn't run over and say, what's your problem? We wouldn't run over there and say, why did you get lost? We would go over there, and with compassionate hearts, we would kneel down if we were taller than them. And we would get at their eye level, and we would embrace them. We'd say, man, let's, let's find your mommy. Let's go. What does she look like? And, and you would help that person home to a safe place. So that's the picture. That's the heart of those who would be going after others. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. a second, I'm going to have uh, Phil come up. And as I close, I just want to say there's a, a negative command here for us, and that is to not stray or wander. But there's also a positive side to this. The positive command is this, hold on and keep the faith. 1 Timothy 1.18 says, fight the good fight, fight, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered shipwrecked in regard to their faith. One of the ways we do that is Hebrews 10 says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. One of the ways we do that is this morning. In song, we encourage one another. In testimony, we encourage one another. In prayer, last week, we encourage one another. By hearing the word of God, we encourage one another. By exalting Christ, we stir one another up. These are the positive ways on how to get a grip on your faith and keep strong on it. Be reminded, yes, that's what I want. We also have midweek groups that are formal, programmed groups, set times in the week that say, we are going to commit to being together. We're going to walk through this life with one another. The spillover from that is that we don't just say that an hour and 15 on Sunday and an hour and a half on midweek is enough. We say, man, we want to nurture deep relationships. So we're going to call each other midweek. We're going to be involved in discussion on the city. We're going to go do ministry together. We're going to text, I need prayer right now. And those are the ways God's going to build and unite our body. Phil, why don't you come on up? I wanted to give Phil a couple of minutes because he... Um, he had something stir up in his heart, and uh, he was like a boomerang. Part way up, and then he came back. Um, <laughs> uh, he had something stir up in his heart, and he approached the uh, leadership of the church about it, and, um, and it really resonated with us. And it's a, it's a new kind of community group, such that I wanted to give him a couple of minutes to, uh, to just share about it. Good morning. So as many of you know, my name is Phil. Um, 
I've been attending here for a while, and uh, Dave has asked me to come talk to you about a new community group that we've just started called Theology and Life. And as we've heard here today, truth is so critical. And we have this enormously critical role with each other in maintaining the truth and staying on course with the truth. And as we've heard throughout this series in James, how we live is really an undeniable expression of what we believe or don't believe or don't yet believe. And so as I was going through and preparing to introduce this, I was reminded of Hosea, where God notes that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And he goes on to lament about how what one generation has neglected, the next generation reject and had completely gone astray. And so being children of God, it's both a blessing and a burden to to cultivate and maintain the truth. And so I've decided to, you know, with their support to start the Theology and Life Community Group uh, to provide a place where we can study and grow in theology and knowledge. It's kind of a freestyle thing in terms of fellowship. And, and what I mean by that is maybe you've been a part of, say, a book club, for example, where your highlight of the week was getting together and sharing excitedly about the best highlights or the neatest things you learned in the book or what you'd really like to share. Or maybe in school you had a study group it was really great and everybody learned off of each other and learned through each other through that study group Uh, or maybe you're just one of those people that really really likes all the tangents and discussions that go on during a uh, community group or afterwards and on all the really great questions that are raised well we're all of those things part study group part books club part prayer group and the reason it would appeal to everybody is because whatever you're interested in is what we're interested in because what you're interested in is what you bring to the table and that by definition is the fodder for our fellowship and discussion so We meet on Tuesdays at 7 o'clock. That's the same time as the junior high and high school when we meet to commit ministry upon our youth. And uh, so you're welcome to drop off the kids at that time. Or if you don't have kids or aren't dropping them off, you're welcome to meet with us every week at 7 o'clock. Yep. Just hang on there. All right. Thanks, brother. Listen, one of the things that Phil and I were talking through this week you know, just about this passage, I, I told him I, I really like to give announcements in the flow of teaching, if possible. And as we're, as we're reading this passage, he's like, well, that fits perfectly. Because life and theology intersect. And, and one of the ways that, you know, if the, if the negative is don't stray, and that's all you leave it at, versus don't pursue truth. Instead, it's hold on to the truth, pursue truth, grow in knowledge. So that when those wanderings come, there's a greater desire right? When there's treasure that comes along that starts to steal you away, there's a greater treasure. And when false teaching comes, you spot it in a heartbeat. You say, and we've been through this. That doesn't lead anywhere. That's false. I'm not going to go after that. And so that's the importance of growing in knowledge. And then I love the word life in there because it's, it's flushing it out from there. Thanks, Phil, for, for sharing that. Listen, let me have the band come on back up. And I close with this. You and I can go simply because of one reason. We go because someone went for us. Jesus left the comfort and the rightful place on the throne for us. Jesus went. He pursued strays long before they were asking for help. He loved long past the rejection of, no, I'm good. And for all of us, we've had a, no, I'm good, Jesus, moment. And Jesus was the hound of heaven, and he kept pursuing. He kept loving us. And finally, we see in Christ the clearest picture of spending his life so that you and I could gain life. So fundamentally, why do we go? Why do we love enough to go? It's because of Christ. We see Christ as our example in that.
and our motive in that and our means in that. Let's pray. Jesus, celebrate this morning the reality and the understanding that you came to our rescue. And God, now you've made us into people who are in process, not perfect people, but compassionate people who can go and pursue others with the same kind of tenacity and love that you have. Father, I pray that you would entrust to our care people. And God, that we would go, that we would pursue. In Jesus' name.